Well, welcome back. Happy end of summer. I'm a, I'm a summer person, so there's nothing happy about the end of summer, except that so many of you are back. Welcome back, Lake people. So happy to have you here, and welcome to those of you who are joining us online. We're glad that you're here, too. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Graham. I'm the teaching pastor here at Elam Chapel, and are you guys okay? <laughs> it's taking a long time to go down. I just wanted to make sure nothing was going on. Oh, technical, okay. All right, I'll, I'll just keep going then. For ignore them. Ignore the man in the, behind the curtain. So we're, we're starting a new series. It is our tradition on the, uh, in September to do a Back to Basics series. This is what we've done each year. We like doing it. We like kind of revisiting those. As I say in sports, the basics are the essentials. And then that, that's super important. And um, we're doing something different this year. Something weird, something that's never, ever been done before. But uh, first, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for bringing us together today. Thank you for your word. We pray that you would bless the reading of your word. We pray that you would open each of our hearts and our minds to receive what you have to say to us today, and that this would be something to mark on the calendar, God, where we have encountered you in a special way, where you've made a, a fresh difference in our lives. We thank you, God, for your power and your presence and your goodness above all. In your name we pray. Amen. So as I mentioned, in September we usually do some kind of Back to Basics series, and um, what we're doing this year that's weird is we are revisiting an old series. We're going we're gonna to re-preach a series that we did actually back in the pandemic, and uh, we, did, we did at least part of this series online, and uh, as, as we were talking and planning, this, this just kept coming back. So we've never done this before, at least I've never done this before, but we're going to give it a shot. I mean, there's only so much Bible, right? So you always end up retreading ground. It's not that. Anyway, um, but I'm excited about this. So our series, our new series, our old series, is called Building Blocks of the Christian Life. And uh, I just love this, this little Lego logo that Mika has chosen for us. It's, it's very fun. Uh, this four-week series is going to be, it's going to be four different messages, and they're each going to build upon one another. So it's going to be sort of like a house. Don't think that this is a, a one and done, where you can come catch one message in this series and be either totally caught up or also, you know, get an idea for what it is in the completeness of what it is that you need to understand. Try to catch each one of the messages if you can't be in church, at least try to catch it online. But they're going to they're gonna build on one another, which, of course, brings to mind a passage that's especially relevant for today in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, that says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. So it's not only the messages that are being built together, it's you. And we want to remember that. Because this week... Our message is a call to gather, and we're going to be talking about the importance of church. And if we're going to talk about that, we need to start with an important clarification. Church is not the building, though we do call it that. We talk about coming to church, about maintaining the church, right? There are lots of ways in which we use the word church to refer to the building, but that's not what we're talking about today. Church also is not the leadership, though sometimes we call it that. Sometimes we will talk about the decision of the church, by which we mean the pastors or the elders, or whatever happens to be appropriate to the context, and that's true. There are lots of ways in which we use the word church to refer just to 
the leadership. But that's not what we're talking about today. The Greek word in the original New Testament manuscripts that we translate as church is a Greek word, ekklesia. And it literally means, literally, the called out ones. The more accurately, the sense of it would be to mean gathering. The word church, on the other hand, our English word church, comes from an English word which itself comes from another Greek word that means something closer to house. So the word church in English really does refer to the building. But in, in the Greek, in the New Testament, the word that they use is all about people. Church is the people. It is the community. It is the collection of Christians locally and around the world. It is the ecclesia, the called out ones, which is already such beautiful imagery, right? That there are those whom God has called out of the world to serve him, love him. There are echoes of ancient Israel in this. I don't know if you can hear it. Although I would argue that God calls everyone and that we are just those who have answered. Okay, so I want to be clear on that. But that's not the only thing that the Bible calls us as believers. The Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. Not you or I, or, and not only those in leadership, and certainly not the building, but we together as the gathering are the bride of Christ. God's focus on the church is apparent all throughout the New Testament. Ten of the books of the New Testament are explicitly letters to churches. The book of Revelation contains letters to seven churches. And these letters are about many things. Some of them focus on settling internal disputes, some about clarifying theological issues, but every letter, all of them, talk about the importance of church, of the gathering of the saints. Now, we have many examples of church that we can look to, and sure, in some ways. Much ink has been spilled on this question, and certainly far too much blood. So, how can we answer a question of what church is supposed to look like? Let's go really simple and look to our earliest example in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where it describes the gathering of the believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everything else is window dressing. So if you're looking for a church, hi, we're here. But if you don't choose us, whenever you're looking for a church, make sure you look for one where the Bible is taught, where community is had, and where you can grow in spiritual practices and get closer to God. So why does this all matter? Why is church important? And the importance of church can be a hard sell in today's day and age. We live in a time where the importance of religion in general, never mind religious gatherings, feels like it's at an all-time low. The stats suggest that about 10% of Canadians attend church weekly. 10%. That number gets closer to 25% if we adjust it to attending at least monthly, but that's still not very high. So there is an obvious disconnect between the perceived importance of church and the case that's made by the Bible. We find ourselves asking, why should I go? Why should I go to church? And it's a good question. We wonder what it is that we get from church or what the point is, not to mention 
The church is one of the social institutions of our society that has suffered most from the gathering general mistrust of institutions this century, all of which has accelerated since 2016 and has only had gas poured on that fire since 2020. Think about it, though. People don't trust police. People don't trust the government. They don't trust journalists. They don't trust religion. They certainly don't trust their employers. Half the time, they don't trust the medical industry, right? There's a whole lot of social mistrust of institutions going on. And when it comes to this institution, the church, there is the added layer of the pain that has been caused. We've seen exceptional amounts of pain caused by the church. Many of us have experienced incredible pain at the hands of the church community or of her leaders. I have been tremendously hurt by church. But the church is not Jesus. Amen? The church doesn't save people. The church is made up of the people who are saved. I believe in the church because I'm following Jesus and not the other way around. And that means that when the church falls short, when the humanity of the church, not if, when the humanity of the church rears its ugly head, my relationship with Jesus doesn't change because my relationship with the church is downstream of my relationship with Jesus, not the other way around. So I've got four reasons for you today why we should go to church. You're here today, you're already winning, but maybe this is a sermon for one of you to give to one of your friends or your husband who's out on the road. Just kidding. Um, so the first one is probably the one that you'll like the least. The, the first one is the least fun one, so let's get it out of the way. The first reason is because we go to church because we are commanded. There's no verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt go to church. Right? It's not quite that explicit. But Jesus does command us to be baptized, right? And he commands us to join in the Lord's Supper, which we'll be doing today. I hope you got a communion element. There's more at the back if you didn't. But these are things that require other Christians. They are things that are done in community. And Jesus is therefore commanding us to live in Christian community. And though there isn't a verse in which church attendance is commanded, here's one that talks about how and why the gathering is important. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, we read, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The day in this context being the day of the Lord, the end of time. And I love that. Let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. Awesome. The second reason why we go to church is that we go to connect with God. Now, I want to be clear on this. You don't need to come to church to connect with God. You don't, right? You, can, you, you don't have to come here to connect with God. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a cheeseburger, right? You, you don't have to do this. You could encounter God in nature, but do you? You could worship in your car, 
But do you? You could read your Bible at home. But do you? Because it is so easy to not bother. Did you find that over the summer? Right? When we, when we stop going, church is a structure in our lives. It's a plan. It's the difference between having weights in your basement or running shoes in your closet and signing up for a fitness class because now it's an item in your schedule. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a cheeseburger. But if you say that you're a cheeseburger, I ought to find you at McDonald's. And if you say that you're a Christian, we should find you in church. Besides that, corporate worship is special. There's just something special about coming together, hearing the voices of your neighbors raised in heartfelt adoration to the God of the universe and joining together in that song. I felt it. I felt it this morning at the start of King of Kings. I don't know if you heard it. Something picked up in this congregation. There's something different about it. And it was beautiful. There's a great story in the Bible that shows the power of corporate worship. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John perform a public miracle and then they're brought before the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of Israel. And, uh, and the, the Sanhedrin says, no more of this. You, they forbid them to preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And Peter and John say, we can't, we can't do that. We, we can't obey you on this. So the council threatens them, you know, gives them all sorts of, you know, we're gonna, and they let them go. And Peter and John return to the church and they tell them all that's happened. And the assembly of believers responds in this way. In Acts chapter 4, verse 24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And there's a beautiful, beautiful prayer there, but we're actually going to skip the prayer and just see the result. The result in verse 30, is that after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. Rather than shutting down the church, when the persecution was combined with the faith and worship of the believers, instead it became a fire pushing them ever further. And there's another story that's so important to me in the Bible. This, this is, you've probably heard me talk about this before. This is my theme verse in ministry. But Jesus at one point is giving some teaching and it's, it's some hard teachings. He's saying some difficult things. And a whole bunch of the people who were following him turn and they walk away. And Jesus, in this moment of pain and frustration, turns to the 12 and says, are you going to leave me too? And Peter answers on behalf of the twelve. And he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And this is how I feel about church. Where will we go if not here? Where will they hear if not here? Where will people come to be loved and to meet God if not here? here. Which brings us to my third point, that we go to church in order to be encouraged. When we come to church, we hear these things and they get us fired up and they remind us of what's important. There's a story that I probably first heard on an email chain sometime back in the early 2000s, which means you have to forward this to seven people when you're done or else you'll have bad luck. But the story goes 
that there was a man who decided he wasn't going to go to church anymore. He said, you know, I can, I can encounter God in nature. I can worship in my car. I don't, I don't need to go. Sunday morning's too inconvenient. I don't like those people. They don't like me. I'm not going to go. And uh, a couple of weeks go by, and uh, this, this decision makes its way to the pastor, and he hears about this. And the pastor says, well, I, pastor, I should go do something about this. So he goes and, and, and meets the man at his house. And, uh, you know, they embrace each other. They, they like each other just fine. There's no, there's no relational falling out that's happened. They just, this man's just decided not to come to church. So they sit down in front of the roaring fireplace. And the man is, he's expecting it, right? He's ready. But the pastor doesn't say anything. He doesn't say anything. He just grabs the tongs and he reaches into the fireplace and he pulls out one of the burning coals, an ember, and he places it on the mantle away from the rest of the fire. And the ember burns bright. It's red and it's orange and it's giving off heat and light and it's beautiful. And they just sit and they watch. And the ember burns down and down. And the red becomes orange, fades to gray, and finally black as it goes cold and dead. The pastor at this point reaches and picks up the tongs again, picks up the ember, and places it back in the fire where it immediately scoops up the heat and flame and light from all of the other embers around it and bursts back into life. And the pastor stands up to leave. And the man says to him, Thank you for the fiery sermon. I'll see you on Sunday. Right? It's a great story. It's a great story. I'd like to read a longer passage from Hebrews chapter 10, which I read a little bit of earlier, because it encapul- encapsulates the kind of encouragement that we find at church. In Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Amen? And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We gather to be encouraged in our faith. We gather to be reminded of what is true, not just what is plain in front of us, because sometimes those aren't the same thing. We gather to push one another toward love and good deeds, and especially in those times of doubt, those times that we sometimes call the winter of the soul, the times when God feels distant or when circumstances have happened in our lives that leave us feeling hollow and empty. The encouragement and the love and the fellowship of the church is all the more important. Paul, writing to another one of the churches, says this as an instruction to their gathering. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. Because coming to church to be encouraged is a very good reason, and it's important. 
Finally, the fourth reason, we go to church because this is how we change the world. Right before Jesus was going to ascend into heaven at the end of Matthew's gospel, he gives this final command to the disciples. We know this as the, um, the Great Commission. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. This is God's plan for how we're going to change the world. This is how God is going to turn the kingdom of darkness on its head through the kingdom of light. And Jesus talks about such simple ways in which we do this. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 to 46, we read the parable of the goats, and I don't want to read that because it's already almost time to go pick up the kids. But we, we read this story, and Jesus says to the sheep at one point, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was in prison, and you visited me. Do you remember this? There's more items. Do you remember this part of the story? And the people respond, when did we see you in need? And Jesus' response is, Whoever, whenever you have done this for the least of my brothers and sisters, you did this for me. Loving the family of God is loving Jesus. Loving the church, serving the church is loving God, and it is how we change the world. I, um, I mentioned that this sermon series is a, is a redo from three years ago. And so, of course, um, I did preach this sermon three years ago. This is not the same sermon. It's been reworked a fair bit. But I went and listened to the old one. And at this point in the sermon, I called out to Henry and I said, how many food bank bags did we give away today? And uh, it was an amazing answer. We had tripled our normal reach since the beginning of the pandemic. That week, we had given away 25 food bank bags. And this, when I listened to this sermon, I, uh, I laughed at my desk. And I thought, that's cute. Two weeks ago, we gave away 80 bags. We are changing the world. We are reaching people. We are touching people. And God is honoring that. We are, our, our reach is growing, and we are touching people for God. And it's not just giving away food. That's great, and I love it, and we're not going to stop doing it. But that's not the only thing. Church is where the brokenhearted can be bound up. Church is where the wounded can be healed and where the lost can be found and the sinner finds God. Because church is what God is all about. This is the plan. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, 18, that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you believe this? Do you believe that though hell itself lines up against this church, not the church writ, writ large, this church, if hell stacks up against Elam Chapel, do you believe that God is still bigger than the boogeyman? God has a plan for Elam Chapel. God has a plan for Winnipeg, and we are part of it. And you are part of God's plan for Elam Chapel. So I want to close today by reading a, chapter, a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This passage is all about the church, the people. But I want you to hear Paul's plea 
in this chapter. We need you. God needs you. You have been made for this, and so long as you are breathing, you have a role to play in God's kingdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your church. We thank you that church was your idea. We thank you that you are building church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God, be with us in this place. Make Elam Chapel, make this church a bastion of not only your glory but of your mercy, that people can come here and meet you and that we will be your hands and feet in that endeavor. God, make us your servants. We want to love you. We want to be a light in this world. In your name we pray. Amen.